Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are down to the final two players 
in our top 25 list that we've been working on here for the last couple of weeks. We'll be doing number two today. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements or any other video content that I produce on Twitter. And then last but not least, if you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back to YouTube to finish them, we do release them in audio form wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, number two, another one of my favorite players in the league, Mr. Steph Curry. This is going to be a fun one. I've been looking forward to this a lot over the course of the summer. This guy just deserves to have a ton of praise heaped on him this summer for what he accomplished in this past year. An unassailable playoff run to wipe clean a rough couple of years. Rough couple of years that weren't his fault, in my opinion. A rough couple of years that all of his detractors used as an opportunity to pile dirt and prematurely bury Steph Curry when he very much had a lot left to say in his basketball career. As you know, the year after the 2019 finals, Kevin Durant leaves. Clay Thompson has a torn ACL. Steph Curry ends up breaking his hand, ends up missing the vast majority of that season. They miss the playoffs. Then the following year... It's kind of a weird kind of like bridge season. Clay's still out, but Steph and Dre are there and actually healthy. But there's also like this weird priority to play the younger players. Some of the role players that they picked, namely Kent Bazemore and Kelly Oubre, ended up being bad fits, Brad Wanamaker too, where they just struggled in the Golden State system, which is designed to generate four-on-three opportunities, and you need smart players that are good at attacking closeouts and making reads to their teammates. It's just a funky season where things didn't really come together, and they missed the playoffs again. In my opinion, not because of Steph. I thought that was Steph's best regular season of his career when you factor in the way he was defended and the actual result of what he was doing on the offensive end of the floor. But even though Steph was the best I had ever seen him offensively, it wasn't enough. Why? Because basketball is a team sport, something that we talked about a ton over the course of the last week. So coming into this season, they finally signed some smarter role players, players that are a little bit more cerebral with the way that they play, uh, especially when they're in space off of the attention that Steph Curry garners, bringing back Andre Godala, getting Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton II, who, as many of you guys may not know, when he was in junior college, won a Player of the Year award primarily for what he was doing as a playmaker. This is a guy that is gifted at putting the ball on the floor and making plays for his teammates, one of the unsung heroes of last year's playoff run. Just a smarter group of players. No longer prioritizing the young players unless Steve Kerr saw opportunities for them to fit in the rotation in small bursts, and the result was much better. They dominated from the start of the season, and then we got into a playoff run where a couple things didn't go their way. Draymond Green recovering from a back injury. Klay Thompson not being what he was defensively before his injury. And then Steph Curry sprains his foot and misses a chunk of games right before the playoffs. Game one of the playoff series against Denver ends up being his first game that he plays live in a very long time. Comes off the bench and kicks off arguably the most dominant playoff run of his career when you factor in quality of competition as well as the supporting cast he had at his disposal. Andrew Wiggins, I thought, was the best player on that roster not named Steph Curry. That's an unassailable championship run 
wipes clean so many of the stupid narratives that have followed Steph throughout his career, and I'm really happy for him that he had that moment. I, I'm, I wanted to take a second here. I'm sure some of you Warriors fans have thought about this specifically. Jason, why aren't any other Warriors in the top 25? It's really not all that complicated. To me, the talent at the top of the league is insanely deep, and I would argue right beneath where I started this list, which I think was the top 29 players in the list, you're going to hit Draymond Green, you're going to hit Jordan Poole, you're going to hit Clay Thompson in pretty quick order there. This is an extremely smart team with a roster that's extremely well put together. They don't have top-end talent outside of Steph, but they're extremely competent down the roster. They had a lot of wings that didn't even get into their rotation because of how deep they were. Guys like Damian Lee, guys like Andre Iguodala for the most part during this playoff run. This was an extremely well put together roster. They just didn't have top end talent outside of Steph. That's why I didn't have other guys that made it on this list. But Andrew Wiggins turned into a monstrous 3 and D player in that playoff run. Clay Thompson timely scoring. Draymond Green, every bit as Draymond Greeny as he's ever been. But I just don't think those guys are at the same level of your Chris Pauls and Bradley Beals and guys that didn't quite make the cut for the top 25. So that's all that means. It's not disrespect to those guys. I still think this team is extremely well put together and has a ton of talent. But Steph is the only top 25 type of guy that was on that roster. And hey, that's what makes it an unassailable playoff run. That's why when we do all-time rankings, he's going to be pretty damn high on my list. I, I What he did with last year's roster was unassailable, and it deserves to be celebrated. All right, let's get into some numbers. You guys know the drill here. I'm going to go through some numbers. I want to do a, a little bit more of a deep dive into Steph's slump this year, because now in retrospect, it's super interesting. We're going to be doing strengths, weaknesses, uh, biggest hopes, biggest fears, and biggest what-if at the end. All right, so this season... Steph averaged 26, 5, and 6 on 60% true shooting. Hilarious because 60% true shooting is better than the vast majority of the guys on this list, but it's considered a down shooting year for Steph. But hey, that's the being graded on a curve. There are a couple guys in the league that you grade on a curve. LeBron, Steph, Giannis, KD, these guys, you just get so statistically n- or numb to what they do statistically that you see some anomaly that just looks normal and it's considered a down season, right? So that 60% true shooting was down 6% from last season. Uh, just for a little perspective, and down 7% from his unanimous MVP season. In the postseason, that went up to 27 points per game, five rebounds, six assists on 61% true shooting. And then in the finals in particular, 31 points per game, six rebounds, five assists on 63% true shooting. On the scoreboard, Steph was monumentally valuable. In, two, in 225 minutes versus Boston, the Warriors were plus 35. In 63 minutes without Steph, they were minus 11. It was the defining run of Steph's career. We are going to spend a lot of time talking about that, uh, especially when we get into the X's and O's stuff from the NBA Finals, because I thought it was a super interesting gamble from Boston, and Steph Curry made them pay in a big way. All right, let's get into strengths. So I think Steph Curry is the best offensive engine in basketball right now. I think LeBron's the best offensive engine of this era with a slight edge over Steph, but I think Steph is the best offensive engine right now with a slight edge over LeBron, and then shortly behind them, I'd have Luka and Jokic. Offensive engine is very different than what we get from a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard or Jason Tatum or guys along those lines. To me, an offensive engine is a player that you can count on to let's just say in a regular game you're getting 100 possessions just for the sake of making the math easy. You know, these 
tip of the spear type guys, your Anthony Davises, your Kevin Durant's, your Kawhi Leonard's, they're not going to control the vast majority of those possessions. But for maybe 30, 40 possessions, they're going to be really heavily involved. Your offensive engine types, they're almost responsible for every field goal attempt that gets generated in one way or another, either directly through them scoring, directly through them creating a shot for their teammate off the dribble, or as a decoy, just with the way that the defense is set up to handle what they do on a possession-by-possession basis. That's kind of what I define as an offensive engine. Obviously, every player is an offensive engine to some extent, but I do think there's a barrier between the Steph, LeBron, Luka, Jokic types and the guys that are behind them, just in terms of how valuable they are to an offense-generating quality looks. He's obviously the best shooter in basketball, best shooter of all time, and he's the best pull-up three-point shooter in basketball best pull-up three-point shooter of all time. The best mid-range shooter in the league is Kevin Durant, in my opinion, but the best pull-up shooter by overall shot value when you weigh things like the three-point shot, that goes to Steph. Um, Again, he had a down shooting year this year, and I want to get into that a little bit because I think it's interesting. A lot of that had to do with integrating Jordan Poole into the system, a different type of player than he's used to playing with. Clay Thompson being out of the lineup for a while, then coming back into the lineup and trying to get him reintegrated. Draymond Green missing a significant chunk of time, and as we know, Draymond Green is important, especially to a lot of the stuff that Steph Curry likes to do without the basketball. So in this season, he averaged two restricted area makes at 61%. That's okay uh, for a guard. One paint non-restricted area make at 49%. One mid-range make on 54%. And 4.53s made per game at 38%. Again, down across the board from what you typically expect from Steph. 3.5 made pull-up jumpers per game at 39%. So what I wanted to do here was uh, rip off his 2020, uh, 2021 numbers just to give you guys some perspective on how much better he had as a shooting season last season or two seasons ago, I should say, just to give you some perspective on how strange this season was. So in 2021, he had 2.7 restricted area makes on 65%, considerably better in volume and performance. 1.3 paint non-restricted area makes at 52%. One mid-range make on 48% up from this year. And then 5.3 threes made per game at 42%. Biggest difference is in pull-up shooting. 4.1 pull-up makes per game at 42%. Um, So to give you an idea uh, in terms of the shot value on his pull-up shooting. So if you guys remember yesterday I did with KD, his pull-up shooting for the season, he was right around 49%, I think. His effective field goal percentage when you weighted those for threes was about 52%. In the 2021 season, Steph's effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shooting was 57.3%. That gives you an idea of just how much more valuable Steph's pull-up uh, pull-up shooting is. Uh, in that season, he was 3% better than any pull-up shooter that attempted at least five threes per game. little trivia for you guys. Who do you think was number two? It was Zach Levine. So... In his down year this year, he still had an effective field goal percentage of 52.5%. So that's his down year. That was only a half of a percent behind Trey Young for first place in the league. 16 players attempted at least eight threes per game. He still finished fourth in percentage this year. So down shooting year for Steph, still was a 52% effective field goal percentage and was fourth out of the 16 players who attempted at least eight, three, eight threes per game. That's just a ridiculous shooting slump. <laughs> it's a lot different than my shooting slump when, uh, when I was in college back in the day. Um, okay, so 
I wanted to, so the, the the actual shooting slump itself stretched from January third to March first. Okay, so about two months, a little over thirty games or something along those lines. Um, he the it was crazy how poorly he performed even on good shot quality. He shot thirty four percent on wide open threes during that stretch. Again, wide open threes, defenders at least six feet away. Like if Steph Curry is shooting thirty four percent on wide open threes, that's pretty damn fluky. 22% from the corner, which is where he's usually incredibly deadly, especially when he's moving without the basketball. 32% on pull-up threes. So it was just a random stretch where nothing was going in, but it was extended. It was two months long. That's why I kept asking, like, man, what's going on with Steph? Like, this is so unusual compared to anything else that he did in the years before that it was worth at least talking about, it was worth thinking about. And like I said before that playoff run, we're going to find out. We're going to find out if that was a slump or if it's a decline. And he proved resoundingly that it was just a slump because not only was he 40% from three before that stretch and 44% after that stretch, this was what he did in the NBA Finals. 71% in the restricted area, 59% in the mid-range, and 44% on 12 three-point attempts per game. So he took any notion that there might be a slump there and just completely knocked it out of the park. It's just completely, we can now simply look back at that as, hey, do you remember that time in 2022 for two months that Steph just couldn't make a shot and no one knew what happened and then he was fine and won a finals MVP? That's the way we get to tell that story now because Steph proved that that's all that that was. The finals were super interesting because as you guys remember, in the preview before that series, I was watching film from the regular season And the Celtics utilized the drop coverage against the Warriors, Um, not just on ball screens, but kind of a modified drop concept on off-ball actions. So like if Steph was in the corner and someone set a pin down for him, rather than having that screen be switched so that he doesn't have an opening, they would force the defender to chase him over the top of the screen. And the big man like Robert Williams or Al Horford would be back kind of by where the screener was. And in the regular season matchups, I'm watching Steph come flying off of these pin downs and he's getting wide open threes and coming off these ball screens and he's getting pretty damn good looks at the three. And if you guys remember in the season preview or a series preview, I'm like, well, that's a suicide mission. I sure hope they don't do that. And then they came out and they did that anyway in the finals. Now, if you guys remember with the heliocentric guys, when I was talking about like Luca or LeBron or Jokic or things along those lines, I was talking about the conundrum that defenses face in terms of game planning. And you pretty much have two options. You can send the kitchen sink at the star to get the ball out of their hands and force teammates to make shots, right? Or you can stay home and try to bait them into playing isolation basketball, even though they don't want to because they're primarily playmakers, and see if you can test their uh, conditioning, because obviously Luka, Jokic, LeBron, these kind of guys, they're going to kill you in isolation, but maybe they won't be able to kill you for seven games doing it. That's the debate, right? And those teams will try to figure out which strategy works best for them based on their personnel. There's a similar kind of discussion when you're getting ready to face a Steph Curry-led team. The decision there is, do we let Steph operate out of normal coverages and see if he can beat us shooting the basketball? Or do we trap the hell out of him every time we get a chance and let the Warriors play four on three all series and see if they can beat us playing four on three? Now, 
I tend to go with the third option there. I tend to go with just switch everything and make Steph beat you in isolation. Um, but the Celtics ended up, and the main reason there is it's just harder for Steph to score in isolation scenarios than it is coming off of screens when he's getting airspace. The airspace that he's getting off of that is higher quality airspace, more space, higher quality shots than it is for him when he has to hit a dribble combination to get separation before he can make the shot. But the Celtics opted for a drop coverage. And so what that meant was the defender was trying to chase Steph over the top of the screen. And Robert Williams or Al Horford would be a couple steps behind the three-point line. And they'd offer a late contest as Steph would come over the top of those threes. So they're contested. Don't get me wrong. They're difficult shots. But this is the best shooter of all time we're talking about here. This is the best pull-up three-point shooter of all time we're talking about here. This is a guy who has an incredibly quick release and is accustomed to shooting, particularly when he gets tiny little windows to shoot through. So Steph typically averages about nine pull-up jump shot attempts per game, typically in his career, in recent history. That went up to 13 per game against Boston. That's the way that that coverage dictated his shot profile. And he made 48% of them. And when you weigh it for threes, it was a 63.3% effective field goal percentage. That's, that, that's how ridiculous that strategy was. The Celtics were daring the best shooter of all time and the best pull-up three-point shooter of all time to take pull-up three-point shots. And he did. And he made them. And the rest is history. You know, this is where Steph's release is super unique. You know, I talked, to, I talked about this a while back. I can't remember which player it was specifically, but it was in this, in this uh, list that we were doing. And I talked about how there's like three different kinds of shot releases. There's like a standard catch and shoot release that most spot up shooters uh, use where they shoot shortly before the apex of their shot. Then there's like your big scoring wings that typically shoot at the apex of their shot because they're trying to elevate over the top of people. That's typically a more athletic type of wing that does that kind of thing. And then there's like the Trey Young, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard thing where they're actually shooting close to the beginning uh, of their jump. And the idea is to get it off as quickly as possible rather than trying to elevate or hang in the air long enough for the defender to come down. Steph, in this particular case, is this is where him uh, pulling up, coming off of ball screens, uh, that's, this is where his uh, uh, quick release becomes so valuable. So let's say Derek White's chasing Steph over the top of the screen and Robert Williams is going to be the one that's coming up in drop. He's in a drop, but he's going to offer a late contest. Steph knows he can get a shot off there. It just has to be quick. He's going to have a small window, and he's going to have to fire in that window. If he goes too soon, Derek White maybe isn't caught on the screen yet. If he goes too late, then maybe Robert Williams can bother the shot with his late contest. But Steph found that sweet spot in that pick and roll, and then it just became practice shots for him. And that's why he made them at a 48% clip. I thought it was a strategic mistake from Boston. And hey, they dared an all-time great NBA player to do something that he's all-time great at, and he made them pay. Um, the one last thing I wanted to hit on here with Steph's um, uh, scoring ability is his handle and his fluidity. This is something we talked about a lot, but like, in order to translate good shooting ability to good pull-up shooting ability, you also have to have a great handle, and there has to be connectivity between the two. 
So obviously handling the basketball is important to get to spots off of dribble combinations, right? But if you're too rigid with your shot form and you get to your shot pocket every single time, then you're going to struggle transitioning from your handle to your jump shot because there's going to effectively be a hitch there as you have to set yourself up into your jump shot. The fluidity is the transition between the two. And Steph is one of the best players in the league at this specifically. He can flow out of a dribble combination into a shot so easily because his release actually starts out of the shooting pocket. So if he's in the shooting pocket, that's great, but he can also take it from out here. He could take it from out here. He could take it out of any dribble combination. He could take it off of any catch. That is what allows Steph to be such a dominant pull-up jump shooter. There is fluidity between his handle and his jump shot. The two are always connected in a way that he can transition between the two at any time. Um, Steph averaged 1.2 points per possession in isolation, but he only attempted 1.8 isolations per game. That's super low volume. For some perspective, OG Ananobi for the Toronto Raptors this year attempted more isolations per game. Um, This is just because Steph is really picky. Like Steph knows that isolating is not his best ability because he's not the best type of athlete in the world. So he's very picky to wait for the right kind of matchup, typically against bigs. He did a lot of this in the finals when he would get Al Horford and Robert Williams on switches. When Steph gets a mismatch, particularly against a slow-footed big, he's going to barbecue them typically to the tune of 1.2 points per possession, which is insane. A lot of people would consider this a weakness, like, hey, Steph's not a great isolation player against other big, you know, or other great perimeter defensive players. To me, I view it as a strength. Why would you play to your weakness? Why would you try to isolate wings and guards that are great defensively for no reason when you're an excellent off-ball player, an excellent pick-and-roll player, and excellent at isolating bigs? That's just good shot selection is all that is. I do not view that as a weakness for Steph. So as promised from yesterday's show with Kevin Durant, uh, we're going to talk about moving without the basketball, which is one of the most important skills for Steph. If you guys remember when we talked about Dame Lillard, this is the biggest thing that separates the two of them. Dame Lillard is just about as effective with the basketball in his hands as Steph. But there's a giant chasm between the two of them as players. And that's entirely made up by what Steph does without the basketball moving and what he does defensively. The reason why moving without the basketball is so important is it's easier than dribbling. Do you guys remember what happened in the finals when the Celtics were running around like chickens with their heads cut off, uh, dribbling the basketball into traffic and turning the basketball over? When it's physical... When the refs are swallowing the whistle, it's tough to dribble through traffic. So one of the things that Steph has figured out is when he before before he gets into trouble, if he gets rid of the basketball, he can run where he needs to go. And then it doesn't matter if if someone's reaching like crazy to try to knock the ball away. He doesn't actually have the basketball. And most importantly, moving without the basketball takes advantage of a very basic human instinct on basketball defensively. What do you guys typically do when you're playing basketball up at the rec center or up at the LA Fitness or up at the 24-hour fitness or wherever it is that you play? You're guarding your man because he has the basketball. Let's say he drives to the left and you cut him off and he picks up his dribble and he passes it back out. What's the first thing you typically do? You relax. Because moving your feet when there's a ball handler attacking you is hard and it's fatiguing. And you relax because that's your opportunity to gain energy for you to handle again, handle defensively again. Guess what Steph does? Steph knows that that's the perfect time to continue to move. 
He's the best give-and-go player in the league. He's taking advantage of defenders instinctually relaxing when they think the job is done. The best example you guys that I could give to you guys of this is the classic Steph corner three play where he kind of drives into the paint. The defense kind of collapses around him and there will be a release valve somewhere in the short corner, typically Draymond or Kevon Looney, someone like that. He will pass it to that short corner and not even consider stopping, continue to sprint out following his pass to the corner, and then Draymond or Kevon Looney will pass it between their legs back to Steph in the corner, and he gets wide open looks out of that all the time. Why? Because when he drives into the paint and he gives up the basketball, it's human instinct for players to give up or to relax and to get out of their defensive stance. And if you do that for a split second, if you come up out of your stance, you lose your mobility. This is why I tell young players all the time, like when you pump fake, don't ever come out of your athletic stance in a pump fake because even if you get the defender to jump, you're out of your stance. And now you've got to get back down into your stance so you can explode. Same thing goes defensively. The second you stand up out of your defensive stance, you lose a second of mobility. And that's when Steph strikes. That's when he gets that little bit of separation and he's got such a quick release that there's not enough time for you to recover. I'm going to talk a little bit more about moving without the basketball here in just a second as we talk about Steph's playmaking. So Steph can pass the basketball. In 2014 and 2015, those two seasons combined, he averaged 8.1 assists per game. He hasn't come close to that since, but that's what he averaged back then. So Steph can be Dame Lillard. He can be a heliocentric playmaker. He just doesn't want to be. Because he knows that he can have the same type of impact moving without the basketball as a decoy. One of the most common things that I've had you guys, Steph fans, throw in the comments over the course of the series is every time I bring up something like, hey, the top four playmakers in the league are LeBron, Luka, Jokic, and Chris Paul, and then there's kind of like a gap, and then you have your James Hardens and guys like that who are beneath him, right? That's true. But it's also true what you guys have been saying, that Steph belongs in that list too. Now, I don't think he belongs in that list as a playmaker in the sense that like an on-ball passer because he's a very good passer, but he's not the same level as your LeBrons and your Lukas and your Jokic's, right? But he is equal in impact with his gravity. So an honorary fifth member of those top playmakers in the league is Steph. He just does it without the basketball. This is where Steph's gravity becomes a thing. Such a deadly shooter that teams panic chase him. And when defenders need to make quick decisions, if they see two options, they're going to err towards Steph. This frequently leads to multiple defenders going with Steph as opposed to staying with their actual assignment. In a lot of cases, they lose sight of their defensive scheme and they go off script and someone ends up wide open. That's every bit as impactful as LeBron driving and kicking to a shooter as Luka driving and kicking to a shooter, as Jokic posting up and throwing a beautiful cross-court pass that hits Michael Porter Jr. right in the, in the shooting pocket. It's just as impactful just without the passing. So again, do I think Steph is as good of a passer as LeBron and as Luka and Jokic and those guys? No, I don't. But he is every bit as impactful, more impactful as an offensive engine because of what he does with his gravity. 
And this is where his moving without the basketball becomes so important. It's not just so that he can generate open shots for himself, which he does. Steph's relentless and perpetual motion off the basketball is constantly warping the defense. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. And as he's constantly warping the defense, he is constantly creating four on three opportunities at a minimum if not even more crazy opportunities, sometimes even one-on-o opportunities for easy dunks under the basket. This is where Golden State role players become so important. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. This is why it's not just about star power. It's about fit and players fitting with their scheme. This is why Russell Westbrook didn't fit with LeBron James, right? It's not just about your overall talent. It's about your ability as a unit to fill all the responsibilities that a basketball team has to fill. In the previous season, Golden State targeted some discounted players like Kelly Oubre, like uh, Kent Bazemore, that struggled with decision-making. And so even though, you know, like Kent Bazemore shot over 40% from three that season, like you'd think, oh, like that's a good fit, right? No, because the Golden State system doesn't depend on shooting nearly as much 
as it does on playmaking and ball handling from their role players and basketball IQ. That's the huge inverse and difference between the Luka, LeBron, Jokic-led systems and the Steph-led system. Those guys are content on collapsing things in the paint and they need shooters to make plays. The openings in the Golden State system are around the basket. And so what you need are players that can run quick four-on-threes, quick three-on-twos, quick two-on-ones without turning the basketball over and getting layups and dunks, excuse me, around the rim. And making that transition last year to this year and putting smarter, more high IQ players into those spots, that was a huge part of why Golden State was so much more successful. And it's, a, it's a concept um, that I find super fascinating about Golden State because it makes them so different from the other teams around the league. Two other things that I want to talk about with Steph with strengths. First is defense. So the story here is early in his career, Steph was a bad defensive player. Not a big shock. He was an outstanding offensive player and he doesn't have great physical tools. Those two are going to pretty frequently combine to making a bad defensive player. But to his credit, him and Clay Thompson, 2014, I believe, for the FIBA World Cup, if I remember correctly, or the FIBA World Championships, whatever they call it. Both Clay and Steph were struggling defensively in camp and there was talk that they wouldn't be able to be in the rotation during that World Cup team unless they figured out things on the defensive end. That was the summer where both of those guys embraced it up here, which is step one. Take on the work. Understand that resources have to be devoted in that direction for you to become a great defensive player. Now, for Clay Thompson, he actually became one of the best defensive wings in the league. Why is that? Because he's laterally quick and he's got good size. And so he actually became an all-defense, like, impact defensive player. Steph Curry didn't have the physical tools to do that, but he did become an above-average defensive player. Helps that he's a little bit bigger and stronger than most of the guards around the league. Like, he's six foot three. He's got a good amount of muscle mass. That's going to help him be a good positional defender, even against some bigger wings. But, now, is he, he's never going to be an impact defensive player. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to his weaknesses. But him converting the small guard prototype, which is almost always a bad defensive player, into an above-average defensive player is one of the most underrated and most important things that allowed the Golden State dynasty to exist. Just that one thing. If he had just let that slip, if he just didn't care about that, this might all not have come together. And, th- and that's a credit to Steph and just how important the defensive end of the floor is. And the last but not least, Steph's leadership. I think Steph is the best leader in basketball. You know, I talked about how LeBron is the best guy I'd want if I had a really good team that had championship aspirations and all that and so on and so forth. But regardless of circumstance, great team, good team, bad team, horrible team, whatever it is, I can't think of a better guy than Steph Curry. There is no passive aggressiveness. There is no bad body language. He knows how to handle young players. He knows how to handle veteran players. Veteran players, like Andre Godala worships the ground that he walks on. He's coachable. You can ask him to put in the hard work and, and do things that other stars don't want to do around this league. He's great at managing personalities. You could not pick a better player to put into this position. And he demonstrated that over the course of the last three, a few years in a bunch of different circumstances. You know, 2016, embracing Kevin Durant, making him feel like he was on common ground with him, even if other external factors ended up eventually getting to KD. 
weathering the storm in 2020 and in 2021 when things weren't going his way. There was no pouting there. He didn't make a scene. He didn't bring wine to the bench. <laughs> he was he was a rock. And, and I and I think that's a lot of credit to him. And it's funny because it's not it's he's not soft. Like the dude's a psychopath. One of my favorite Twitter accounts, a friend of mine, uh, goes by Bobby Flabin, a uh, big Warriors fan. He calls him Bundy, like the serial killer. And that's kind of the way I see Steph too. The dude is a complete and total psychopath who wants to snatch your heart out when he's outwardly focusing his energy on the opponent. Internally, he's as steady and sound and, and never too high, never too low type of person that you could have in that spot. And, I, and that's a huge credit to him. Like I've always said, you could not pick a better foundational piece for an extended dynasty like a Spurs or like a, 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 a Warriors than a guy like him because of how steady he is on the lows and the highs. And that's why I've compared him to Tim Duncan. He's a better version of Tim Duncan. All right, moving on to Steph's weaknesses. So there's only two because that's how well-rounded Steph is. Now, one of them is pretty significant. I'll go with the, light, the, 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 the small one first. He's loose with the basketball. Doesn't take great care of the basketball. He gets a little bit cute with his dribble combination sometimes and will try some ballsy passes and things like that in, in, in high-leverage situations. And it's burned Steph before, see the 2016 finals. This manifests mostly when he's handling traps, and his size can be a little bit of an issue here. He's very good at navigating traps in the aggregate, but he is prone to some turnovers in that situation just because of his lack of size. That's a small weakness. This is Steph's only other weakness, and it's a big one. It's the reason why he's not number one on this list, and it's the reason why he may never have been number one, um, but it's, again, it, it has to be addressed here. So, Steph is not capable of leaving a physical imprint on the game on either end of the floor. So, in isolation situations, he needs a quickness mismatch. He needs to get a big on a switch in order to consistently generate good shots. Yes, he can cook wings. Yes, he can score against Kawhi. Yes, he can score against KD. Yes, he can score against all the best perimeter defenders in the league. I'm not saying he can't, but it's harder for him to do that than the other big... Like, LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Luka, Giannis, those guys still feel like they can consistently get quality shots against each other in individual matchups because of their physical tools. Steph typically needs to get big guys on switches to become a highly effective ISO player. To his credit... That's why he doesn't mess around with ISOs that often. That's why he's a super low-volume isolation player compared to his peers around the league. He's very selective with the way he does that. That's the only way it impacts offensively. The physical imprint thing is really on the defensive end of the floor. So his ceiling with his effort and focus on the defensive end of the floor is above average. He can never be a better defender than what he is right now, which is serviceable in a good defensive scheme. Guys like Giannis, Kevin Durant, LeBron more so in his prime, but LeBron in general, Kawhi Leonard, they are capable of dominating games defensively. They are impact defensive players. They can swing outcomes with what they do defensively, which is something that Steph cannot do. This is the biggest reason why I have Giannis ahead of Steph, number one on this list. Giannis is deeply impactful on the defensive end of the floor. He can erase well-run offenses by himself. 
I gave the example of Luka having to pull him into isolation defense because he was blowing everything up with his help on the back end. You guys probably remember a play in the 2021 finals, a very famous play in Giannis's career. Drop coverage against Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, where he's up high enough to dissuade Devin Booker from taking the shot and force him to throw a lob, but still turn and recover and erase Ayton at the rim. That is using his physical tools to dominate a basketball game on the defensive end of the floor. Even on offense. When, th- when his shot's not falling, when things are not going his way offensively, Giannis can bulldoze his way to 35 points a game because of his physical tools. That's it. That, that, those, that's the only weakness I can really hammer home with Steph. And it's a credit to him because all of those other guys at the top of the list were capable of inflicting their physicality on the game in a way that was literally a huge chunk of their impact on winning. And Steph, without those tools, is going to be extremely high on my all-time rankings because of how good he is in everything else. So it's a credit to Steph. But that is the difference between him and LeBron when he was at his peak or him and Giannis when he was at his peak. Is those guys can just... Think about all the defensive moments of LeBron's career. You know, what he did defensively to the Spurs in the 2013 finals. What he did defensively to the Warriors in 2016, erasing what probably would have amounted to the game-winning layup from Andre Iguodala. And again, like, Steph has overcome this to get where he's gotten, But that's the one big red flag with him. That's the one big weakness. On offense, he can't inflict his physicality. And on defense, he can't inflict his physicality. All right, moving on to greatest hopes. So it's hard to hope for more. I mean, his career is unassailable now. There was kind of a little bit of a question mark, an unfair one in my opinion. But there was a little bit of question mark about whether or not he'd be able to carry a team he resolved that this year, resoundingly. If Andrew Wiggins is your best player and you win a champion, your best teammate and you win a championship, you're in a select few, you're in some select company there. What becomes really interesting for Steph is his GOAT case. Now, this is not relevant now, but let's say for the sake of argument that the Warriors win two additional titles, okay? He's not going to have the long extended success that LeBron has. He's not going to have the short, unrelenting dominance that Michael Jordan had. But what he could have is a better version of Tim Duncan's career. An extended window of a dynasty where maybe he was never the best player in the world, but he was always right there in his consistent success over that span and the example that he set for his organization led to a lot of success. Now again, This is all in the eye of the beholder. LeBron fans will be like, I'd rather have 20 years of this. MJ fans are like, dude, six titles in eight years. That's dominance. That's what I want. But there will be a case for Steph. And the case will be dynasty bedrock, dynasty foundation. And he was literally the core piece that made everything work for arguably the best dynasty and the most talented era in NBA history. That will be his case. 
Greatest fears. My greatest fear for Steph is that he doesn't get an opportunity to win that fifth and sixth title because of Golden State betting their future on some iffy prospects. So as we go down the line, Jordan Poole had a really good season last year. But I kind of think Jordan Poole has a ceiling of being a fringe all-star. He's very bad defensively right now compared to most of the uh, the players that are above him in league standing. Although he was functional from time to time for Golden State. And he's not, again, impactful enough with his physicality offensively to become more efficient, much more efficient than he is right now. I think that's a, a safe bet for Jordan Poole is... He'll, get, he'll make a few all-star teams for Golden State. Jonathan Kaminga has tantalizing potential, but he also could be the a lesser version of Jeff Green. I think Moses Moody is a role player. And then James Wiseman, yeah, he could be Kevin Garnett, but he also could be something a hell of a lot less than that. Now, that all might pan out fine. Because if Kaminga becomes a dominant two-way wing and Jordan Poole is a fringe all-star, and James Wiseman becomes KG light, the Warriors are going to be really good. They'll be fine. But there's a, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of iffiness there. It could go either way. And if that goes south, the Warriors could be in a situation where they have a, a lot of money on the books without a lot of talent. The second thing that scares me is Clay and Draymond's bodies. Clay, obviously, with the back-to-back catastrophic injuries, Draymond's been having back stuff recently. If those guys age fast, that could be another thing that closes this window early. So hopefully, for Steph's sake, um, those two things don't happen. All right, biggest what-if in Steph's career. So this is an interesting one. There's and there's a bunch of them, just like with all these other players. Like, oh, what if you know Draymond Green doesn't get suspended? What if uh, you know? What if Kevin Durant never comes to Golden State? There's a bunch of what ifs, right? The one that I was thinking of is what if Golden State gave up on his ankles? From what I understand, and of course, there's conflicting reporting with all of this stuff. But from what I understand, there was a decision point for the Warriors where they were trying to decide whether to stick with Monte Ellis or to lean into Steph Curry moving forward. And cooler heads prevailed, and they decided to go with Steph Curry. They made him the the four-year, $44 million offer or whatever it was, and the rest is history. But there's a version of that story where they go, his ankles are shot. This guy's never going to amount to anything. Let's ship him off. And maybe he ends up in a lesser organization without the level of competency that Joe Lacob and uh, uh, and the rest of the, the, the Warriors front office, Bob Myers and Steve Kerr and all them, he ended up doing great over there, but there could have been a lesser version of that story where he would have struggled to overcome the incompetence. I'm thankful that didn't happen. Why? Because I think the Golden State model is really important to the future of the NBA. I don't know what the specifics are. Kevin Durant was on Twitter shooting this down yesterday. Who the hell knows what he if he knows or not what the deal is. Um, But there's going to be something, in my opinion, that happens in the next CBA negotiations that tries to limit some player movement. And I need that to happen for the health of the league. Because Golden State has demonstrated to us the value in that. Building a loyal fan base over the course of a decade that will ride or die with these guys because they're in the same jersey year in and year out. The continuity and the way that that leads to higher quality basketball because the players have a ton of experience playing with each other. And you're directly seeing that amount to enormous revenue. 
as boss man Colin Coward laid out for us in the finals when he said that the Warriors make, I think he said something like crazy, like $700 million in revenue a year. That's the value in the Golden State model. And that doesn't happen without Steph. And so I'm glad that that what-if didn't go that way. And I'm thankful that the Golden State Warriors bet on him. And it was a bet that paid off. But yeah, I have Steph at number two. You know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit funky because I I I I'm one of those guys that like, man, when you're the best when you're the best player on the team that wins the championship and you're a bona fide top tier superstar, there's a tendency to want to put him at number one. I know I've done that with LeBron over the years. But typically that's when there's not a player like Giannis. And that's what makes Giannis so interesting. It's just like prime LeBron from 2012 to 2020 where it's like, man, I'm not sure if there's anybody at his level. And we're going to get in a lot deeper into Giannis tomorrow. Um, but I don't think it's, I, to be clear to Steph fans out there, I don't think it's disrespectful to Steph to say he's behind Giannis. Giannis is a freak of nature. We're going to get into his game tomorrow. It's a, a Steph being number two at this phase in the year 2022, especially after what happened in the previous two years, is an amazing accomplishment. I enjoyed diving into his game, and it's going to be fun getting into Giannis tomorrow. wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings so bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this bundled savings variant are not available in every state coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.